Welcome to Wuffles Press Box Podcast, where we discuss the latest topics in the professional world of sports. Enjoy our exclusive interviews with athletes, coaches, insiders, and fans. And now, here's your host, Gary Wuffle. The NFL draft commences on April 27th, and it figures to be an important one for the Green Bay Packers. The Packers have the 15th overall pick and 10 picks overall. And they could have even more once the Aaron Rodgers to the Jets trade goes down. To help us break down the Packers draft plans, we are pleased to welcome in John Vogel of NFLDraftBlitz.com. Is that the correct website? Yeah, you got it. You nailed it. Perfect. I'm one for one. It's all down (laughs) (laughs) downhill from here, John. (laughs) Are we talking about basketball shooting percentages? Or Uh, we we won't even go there. You've never seen my shot. (laughs) 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 Pretty pretty brutal. It's okay. uh, Hey, thanks for taking uh, some time from your pretty hectic schedule, and uh, really looking forward to uh, breaking down the talent in this year's draft, which on the surface looks to be a pretty good one, but before we delve into the draft, if you could tell us a little bit about your story, I, I think it's utterly fascinating. I met you for the first time at the uh, NFL Combine in Indianapolis last mm-hmm. year. To say the least, I was very impressed with you as a person, very impressed with your uh, knowledge about uh, college football and uh, NFL prospects. So if you don't mind, if you want to uh, shed some light on your story, that'd be awesome. I, I, where do you start? That's the thing. I, I guess we start with media, right? Like, so how I got into media was I had to stay with something football related. I, I was homeschooled through high school. So wow. when I got, when I got into my junior year, Tennessee passed a law that would allow homeschoolers to participate in extracurricular activities with public high schools. And uh, so I thought that was my opportunity. Now I can go play football, right? And because uh, where I lived, there was not a local homeschool team or anything. There wasn't nearly, you know, the the base of homeschoolers to do that. I went to to go play. I was in a unique position where I could pick. I was in f- four different school districts where I lived. Oh. I could go to one of four schools. I narrowed it down to two, ended up picking one and then got denied by the school board. Said that I was <laughs> ineligible to play due to uh, not having a cover. Well, a, the proper cover school. It was a cover school that I was not listed in the bill by name. And so it was kind of a loophole, but yeah, I, I didn't play. So it was a, I have to do something football related. And that's how I got into uh, writing and stuff. I guess I was about when it was, it really was when I was about 20, right before I turned 21. I, I'm like, if I was working restaurants and I thought I was going to be doing that the rest of my life. And I kind of realized had that eureka moment, you know, that, yeah. that sort of epiphany when you're like, if I keep working this the rest of my life, I'm going to hate myself. So I got to do something football. Uh, so I started writing. I started covering the Eagles on fan sided with Inside the Eagles. I started working my way up through a couple other websites, Last Word on Sports. I uh, did some stuff with full press coverage. And then, you know, I guess it was I was watching, you know, the putting rosters together in the offseason, doing coverage. And I was trying to take the experts on the draft, you know, Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper Jr. And I kind of started to realize these guys are wrong all the time. Like, I guess I have to watch these dudes myself. And uh, I started diving into it and realized how little I knew about football. So that at that point, it was like, well, no, I got to learn this now. And it just turned into I love the draft. I love roster building. You know, I got the opportunity to finally do this full time back in August when, you know, Draft Blitz reached out and asked me if I'd be interested in working full time with them. So I did that. Now, I think the thing that you specifically wanted me to talk about was 
last year uh, I was deployed with the Tennessee Army National Guard. And so I can say last year, I really mean 2021 up until the beginning of 22. I was part of the pullout in Afghanistan and we ended up moving from Afghanistan to Kuwait. Now you have a lot of downtime on a deployment where you sit there and you just kind of, you kind of hang out, you're waiting for something to happen. A lot of guys, they play video games, they watch movies or TV shows, they binge all. I did a little bit of that, caught up on Game of Thrones and Peaky Blinders and, you know, shows like that. Uh But for the most part, man, it was, uh, I was like, now this is an opportunity for me to sit down. I have more time than ever to watch tape. And so, you know, we were working, I was working through NFL draft prospects all year, you know, staying up till, you know, games wouldn't kick over there till 10 uh, p.m. on the college slate. And then at 11, they would kick uh, the next day in the NFL. So I would stay up sometimes to four or five in the morning, just kind of, you know, watching football, (laughs) taking notes, watching the prospects, following up the rest of the week, going back and looking at videos, looking at looking at the uh, players and stuff and putting my evaluations together as if I was doing that. And I had a lot of time to do it. And, you know, it kind of got me back into the game, I guess you could say, because now I don't have that nine to five job that I was doing, you know, and then trying to work this on top of it. I just had a lot of free time waiting for something to go down and I was able to use it and kind of get caught up on it. So, you know, I love football, man. We can talk about this all day. I know. I I spoke with you at the combine. Like I said, last year I spoke with you at the combine this year. And I I think you're right. You could talk football. (laughs) (laughs) Just put me on a, put me on a serious radio show. I'll just sit there for 12 hours, you know, and break down football. Yeah. I I forgot if you mentioned this, but uh, you grew up in Tennessee outside of Nashville, correct? Yes. Yes. So were you a Titans fan all along or? No, actually. So my mom is from uh, South Jersey and it's a part of Jersey. That's really more of a, uh, it's really more like the South than anything else. Uh I think they call the area, the people that come from there are referred to as pineys. Uh, so New Jersey folks, you probably know exactly what I'm talking, where I'm talking, Little Lake Harbor area. And so uh, they're all Eagles fans down there. You're 45 minutes from Philly. So they're all Eagles fans. As soon as they found out when I was about six that I was starting to watch football and I was starting to get into it, they started sending me Eagles gear. I mean, for every occasion, wow. birthdays, Christmas, holidays, I started getting Eagles gear. And uh, that was in 2000. That would have been the big year that I really, really got into. It was 2004. So Donovan McNabb, Brian Westbrook, T.O., Brian Dawkins, Jeremiah Trotter, all making the Super Bowl run and then getting sure. taking my first bit of heartbreak uh, to Tom Brady and the Patriots in the Super Bowl that year. So, you know, that, that's what got me into I'm actually a lifelong Eagles fan. I didn't get into college really until 2010, 2011. And then I was that was I was it was the Vols. Um, so I'm a I guess you could say I like pain i guess is what you is the best way to describe it i really like i'm a masochist so there you go <laughs> oh wow interesting interesting well let's get down to business here you know all right let's do it but but, but i do love your story i find it amazing how, how bad was it when you know just to backtrack a little bit how bad was it in the middle east at the time you were there so in afghanistan we had actually i had to miss the draft that year uh, it was one of it was the only 24 hours time slot day one of the draft fell into the only 24 hours that I was there in Afghanistan where the internet was cut off. Oh no! And it was because <laughs> no of no uh, kidding. Yeah, no, no. It, so it was an insider threat. 
Um, so <laughs> basically what you had going on at the time was the Taliban was offering any Afghanistan soldiers, Afghani soldiers, police, anybody uh, that served in that capacity, the equivalent of 50,000 U.S. dollars and protection for their family to quit their job and come join them. Really? 50,000? So, yeah, that was the equivalent of 50,000 U.S. dollars, which out there is a lot of money. Yeah. So, so like our dollar go out there goes much farther. You know, like we would get, I get haircuts over there for $5. And uh -huh. it wasn't just a haircut. It was a full half body massage after it. Like it was insane. <laughs> wow. Uh, the first time I got that, that was quite taken back. I was like, I thought the dude was assaulting me for a second. But no, no, no. So you do. Uh, so it was a lot of money and protection for your family. That's huge. And we shared a base with an entire Afghani division. So there was you had that insider threat at all times where uh -huh. you really couldn't trust them because you don't that's, you know, family goes a long way, especially out there. And uh, protection, promise protection for them could be that really is motivation alone for guys to do that. So it was interesting in that sense. It was hot when I, we got to Kuwait. It was June, July. It got up to 125, 130 degrees, 130 on degrees. Yep. I've been in Vegas when it's got up around 120. I just can't. I couldn't <laughs> well, that was, 125. That was the best part was sometimes you walk outside and the wind's blowing because you get a sandstorm or something that'll come through. It's still 115 degrees. It's just walking out into an oven while getting hit with sand. It's yeah. great. It's awesome. And then, you know, when you finish up, you get into the wintertime, it'll get, it won't get above 70. And so that doesn't sound like that's very cold. But when you've just been in, 120 130 yeah. degree temperatures for three months yeah no it's <laughs> it was an adjustment coming back to america <laughs> yeah yeah did you did you have any heroin experience uh, where you thought you know you could be in trouble yeah so uh we were well our our um mos is really like it, it's called 13 miscellaneous and so, so sometimes you're called out into situations doing security different things like that and uh, there was there were a couple times where it was definitely interesting i think the funniest one and it's funny because it's it wasn't that dangerous was uh i was sitting outside one night we were inside the we were at camp dwyer which is in the southern part of afghanistan and uh we're sitting there and i'm just on looking you know on my phone i'm texting with some people whatever and i heard Three watchtowers light up, 240s, which are, you know, heavy machine guns, hmm. rapid fire. And so there's different cycles of fire, right? And they all kind of signify things. Warning shot would be like a three or five round burst. Uh, you could do different things. Rapid fire is like the worst. It's you're letting it go. Yeah. You're holding down the trigger. You're letting it rip, which usually means danger, 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 especially if there's three of them going off. And I was just kind of, kind of looked up. I was like, are we under attack? Yeah. Well, they didn't say anything over the loudspeakers. We must be all right. And the birds go up in the air. You hear the helicopters. They're loaded with rockets. They start putting rounds into the ground, and you can hear that. It sounds awesome, by the way. Um, and so it was like, well, maybe there is something. The mortars started going off. Yeah, maybe there is something. It just turned out to be a guy in a pickup truck flat waving an AK, and they lit him up. So, um, uh, nothing, yeah. nothing better to do, huh? It was the end of a three-day ceasefire um, for Ramadan. Ramadan was a yeah. was a holiday that we gave them a three-day ceasefire for to celebrate, in which they took that three days and coordinated. I believe it was over a thousand attacks 
Oh, so, because they knew we wouldn't hit them back, you know, so uh, they, they didn't attack us. They attacked the uh, Afghanis all across the country in those three mm. days. And so, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I think that was sort of, he gave them a reason to, to shoot and they, <laughs> they obliged, you know, wow. it was a lot of frustration at that point while we were there. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll tell you what, you, you and I could talk about this for hours, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's... Uh, we're trying to, yeah, we're trying to talk football right now, right? Yeah, trying to, try to mix in some uh, sport as well. So, um, as you know uh, very well, John, the Packers have the 15th overall pick. And interestingly enough, the other day I looked at your website, which, which is outstanding, and I looked at your uh, post-combine uh, draft, Mm-hmm. And I had tweeted out that if the Packers got the Jets pick and their own pick, they'd have 13 and 15. I would take Miles Murphy and Michael Mayer. And lo and <laughs> behold, I look at yours <laughs> and, and we're on the same page here. I mean, it was just uh, remarkable. Uh, we're yeah. thinking along the same lines. But um, when, when I saw Michael, I, I've always been a big Michael Mayer fan to begin with. I, I saw him as a freshman in Notre Dame. And followed his career. And uh, when I got to Indianapolis, though, when he got to the podium and I saw how big he was physically, I'm like, my goodness. I mean, he's he's a large man. I became more impressed than that after hearing him and his passion for football. I, I know he's got a lot of, you know, not a lot of flaws, but some flaws that people are criticizing, lack of speed, blah, blah, blah. I'll tell you what, I I, I think he's – He's a no-brainer to make it in the NFL and, and the ideal fit for the Packers. And I just wanted to get your take on him. Yeah, so Mayer, uh, I agree. Mayer is – you listen to the guy talk for about three minutes and you're like, no, he sounds like a Green Bay Packer. You know, <laughs> like he just has that sort of – that mentality that you need to have to go to Green Bay to play, right? And he's that type of personality that they want. Now, on the field, I've heard people compare him to players like Heath Miller. And I think that's a really good comp for the player that he is. Because a lot of people, a lot of kids, and I say kids because, you know, like I'm a kid to you, okay? But there's still kids that are, you know, under me at this point now. They don't remember Heath Miller. Heath Miller is before their time. Sure. And the thing with him was he was a very, very reliable receiver, right? And he was a good blocker when he needed to be. And so he kept his role in Pittsburgh for almost a decade just because he was so reliable. He didn't wow anybody athletically. He didn't have all the all the, you know, the, you know, the the Rob Gronkowski type effect or the Jimmy, yeah. you know, Graham or whatever you want to look at with the top tight ends, but he was so reliable and he was so consistent that he kept his role in the league for so long just doing that. Sure. And that's kind of what Michael Bayer makes me think of is a reliable, very consistent guy, maybe a little bit more athletic than we want to give him credit for. Because I think, let's see, what do I have him at? Testing-wise, you know, 4740, 32.5 vertical, which are, you know, at that size, that's good. It's not great, you know, but it's good. But mm-hmm. um, so maybe a little bit more athletic than we want to give him credit for, but he's very consistent. Hasn't missed games with injuries. Done a great job staying consistent. Uh, started just about every opportunity that he had, especially in the last two years. And, I mean, the hands – I mean, he's going to have top top 10, maybe even you could make the argument top five hands at the tight end position because this guy catches everything that you throw at him. And so I think when you have 
in theory, a young quarterback like Jordan Love that's going to be stepping in. You want to have this type of player as a security blanket that you can use in a bunch of different ways underneath or however you want to use them schematically. It doesn't matter. Give them somebody that Jordan Love can throw the ball in a sticky situation. Yeah, yeah, no. uh, And not only that, I I know some people have some other tight ends rated above him for their athleticism and, you know, potential. But to me, it's like, you know what you're getting there. And Mm -hmm. like you said, he could have a long, productive career. And then throw in the fact that he, I think he's a very good blocker. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the Packers system, having a blocking tight end is critical. Is there any way he could go before the Packers at 15 in your mind? I don't think so. And, you know, tight end is kind of one of those positions. Maybe we're going to start seeing more value put into it, right, in the next Mm -hmm. few years. I think uh, there's a a lot of potential for guys to come off the board later in the first round because of the success so many teams have had using 12 personnel. Uh, 12 personnel being one running back, two tight ends on the field at the same time. So the reason why that's become so important and how why it's become so successful is a, a lot of defenses now, their base package is the nickel package, right? So you got an extra defensive back on the field. Now, because of the way that the the, the game has changed in just the last five years, Typically, your nickel defender is a cornerback, not like a safety, mm-hmm. not a smaller guy. It's typically like a third cornerback now on the field. And because of that, you put a tight end on him. Now you have a mismatch. You know, so 12 personnel is kind of one of those change ups that a lot of teams are starting to build into and look for. Um, so maybe it toward the back end of the first round that increases the value of the tight end. And a lot of people are going to be more willing to go ahead and take guys like Dalton Kincaid, Darnell Washington, players like that right there in that Wait, range. Would you take those two ahead of uh... – No. You wouldn't. Okay. Not not in this situation. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, Kincaid is very athletic, right? Yeah. Kincaid – I'm looking at this as, as though I'm, as I'm the Packers. Kincaid doesn't fit what I want. And it's because he's a little bit smaller mm-hmm. than the other tight ends, but he's athletic. He can stretch the field. Now – I've got receivers that I'm trying to build to stretch the field already. I've got Christian Watson. I have a very reliable running back duo. If I'm the, I'm speaking as though I'm the Packers, right? Yeah, so I'm correct. Uh-huh. So just to clarify, because I I don't have any of this, but no. but no. So you two really good running backs that that I'm very comfortable with in the passing game. I've got another. I've got an H back in Josh Jaguara who I'm going to use in my 12 personnel. Now. Kincaid doesn't fit that because Kincaid is not a great blocker. Kincaid is not. He's too small. Okay. He's really a – I like to think of him as an Irv Smith Jr. More athletic than him, more capable as a receiver. And Irv Smith Jr. has carved himself a nice role in Minnesota doing that. Um, the other thing is with Washington, Washington could be a good tight end one potentially, but he's a perfect tight end two, just like what he was in Georgia. Uh-huh. Okay. Sure. Because Georgia had Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers is a lot like Kincaid. Okay. And so the reason why Washington was the the 12 personnel guy was because of the mismatches that he could create out of 12. Because you already got to worry about Brock Bowers. Now you got to worry about this guy. I don't want to take Darnell Washington if I'm the Packers over a Michael Mayer. Because if I take him, I don't have that threat that makes Washington the freak that he is like Brock Bowers, because that's Kincaid. That's DeGuar is not going to fit that. That's Bowers. So 
I don't want to try to transition him directly into my starting lineup. Like I think I can with Mayer. So while Mayer doesn't grade out as well for me as some of those other guys in this situation, I'm more interested in Mayer because I think he fits what I'm trying to build with the offense better. Yeah, no, I, I can relate to your analysis here. Um, there's there's some people that claim that he would be a reach at 15, but if you look at the Packers, they have a hole the size of the Grand Canyon at tight end right now. They lost Tanyan, who's mm-hmm. been their starter in recent years. Uh, Mercedes Lewis is probably not coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, to me, it's like, I mean, obviously, obviously a big hole. And if you look at uh, some of the best teams in recent years, John, they've had very good tight ends. I mean, you know, Kittle, obviously, Kelsey, obviously, go back to last last uh, decade with Gronkowski. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, all those teams had, had really good tight ends. And, you know, I, I really believe that the Packers are, you know, to remain a legitimate, you know, NFC championship contender. They, they better get a tight end. And that's the thing, too, is what the whole purpose of a first-round pick as opposed to a second-round pick is the contract. You know, with first round pick, you get a fifth year option. So that means that at the end of the third year, you're going into year four, you get a decision. Do Are we going to pick up that fifth year option? Right. Which I believe sure. is a top. It's a average of the top 20 salaries of that position that you're paid out. Yeah. Uh, as part of your fifth year option. So that's the value of a first round pick is that you get that extra year of the rookie contract that buys you an extra year that you have them on the team that you don't have to extend them. Uh, so Tight end, yeah. If you, if like we're saying, all the great teams right now have them. You could really make the only arc the only team that hasn't had a great tight end that's contributed in the last couple of years in the NFL is the Cincinnati Bengals, and they're going to fix that this offseason too. You know, yeah. so. But you look at the teams in the in the championship the last few years, Chiefs with kid with uh, Kelsey, you know, uh, 49ers with Kittle, Eagles with Goddard. Before Goddard, it was Zach Ertz. You know, you go through the list of these teams that are up there. They all have the great tight ends. You can get a guy like Mayer that's just going to consistently be there and produce and get a fifth-year option with him, sign him to another deal maybe at the end of the five years for another five years. Now that's a decade that you got your tight end position squared away. That's well worth a pick. So now that you and I both agree and, uh, you know, Gunakuns is, uh, Brandon Gunakuns is going to step right in and agree with us, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> so we'll see. But, uh, yeah, we also agreed on Murphy, and and I obviously don't have the info on Murphy like you have, haven't studied him. But in the few clips I saw, that dude can get to the quarterback. And, he, mm-hmm. and he's big. It, it, you know, it's not like one of these – you know, just flashy guys that have quickness and speed but don't have size against the run. It looks like he can hold his own either way. He's a freak. He is yeah. a freak. And it's not just physically but athletically as well. He was on Bruce Feldman's freak list this year going into the year. So, uh, yeah, like you said, big. 6'4", really over 6'4", so 6'4 and a half, 268. I mean, and and very physical, very, very fast off the line of scrimmage. I liked his explosion. I thought he had a great first step. I thought he's going to be a really awesome athletic monster. But the thing is, this year, you didn't see the the production and you didn't see the consistency with him like you saw in 2021. And I think some of that had to do with Brent Venables and the scheme change. Brent Venables was the defensive coordinator at Clemson for a long time took the head coaching job this past year to go to Oklahoma, replace Lincoln Riley. 
And so he took that defense with him. Uh, Venables is a very unique defensive coordinator. And I, I had always kind of said this about Clemson defenders where I thought that his scheme made them look a lot better than they are. You know, you see, I saw that with Farrell. Farrell goes fourth overall. That was a reach. I guess you could make the argument, say Terrell probably doesn't fit that. A.J. Terrell with the Falcons, he's a top 10 corner in the league. Uh, but that's kind of a lot of the guys, when you look at the front seven, they look like studs in that defense because it's aggressive. The way they set up their blitz packages is unique. But this year, you know, these guys, they had to focus more on actually becoming, you know, defenders in their own right, developing those professional tools and not so much relying on mm. their scheme. Uh, so like K.J. Henry is a great example. K.J. Henry is a guy that didn't really produce very well at Clemson. All of a sudden this year, he has a semi-decent year, looks a lot better, goes to the senior ball, blows it up. Miles Murphy is kind of falls into that, you know, he was schemed so well the first couple of years that people thought he was a surefire top five pick. And then this year you saw the limitations, but there's still a lot there. Like his, so his hands can be better, right? He's got good strength. It's not elite. It's not great, but it's good. It's going to hold up. So once he kind of gets his hands and he develops a plan, he's got the upside there to really become a, a, a valuable defender. Yeah. You know, uh, there, there's a couple other intriguing uh, defensive ends there. Lucas Van Ness of Iowa. Again, you know, when, when we saw these guys down in the Indianapolis, you could really see how well they were built, you know, or not yep. built. And Van Ness obviously is athletic. I mean, you, you could tell he's he kind of reminds me of JJ Watt a little bit. I, I'm not going to compare anybody with JJ Watt, but he's got some intrigue there, some upside. Could you see Van Ness being on the Packers board at 15? Yeah, potentially. I think that that's so. The thing with Van Ness is he could go anywhere between, I would say, pick eight and, you know, 20. Okay. And I, I don't think he's going to get past 20. This is an upside guy. This is a guy that you literally you're you're betting on his upside. You're betting on his ability to put it all together. Played decently the last couple of years, 940 career snaps in two years without a single start. So that means that he wasn't on the field the first snap of the game, but he still put 940 snaps together the last two years uh, in a rotational role. So that's a good number, considering that that's, what, 26 games, I think? Yeah. Maybe. So I guess 27, because they had the Big Ten championship last year as well. But he's a potentially a generational pass rusher if he puts it all together. Really? And you, you, you think he's got that kind of potential? That's the upside. That's yeah. the upside. You yeah. know, but there's a lot to put together. Sure. Because he doesn't have a plan right now. He doesn't really know how to use his hands. They're very strong. He likes his bull rush. That's about it. So that's the thing is uh, we were talking about it, you know, before we, we were recording, but it was with Watt. It's like he had the same concerns coming out of Wisconsin. The whole, can he put it all together? Mm -hmm. This and that. Da, da, da. If you go back and you read draft analysis on JJ Watt, you're going to see there were a lot of guys that were talking about, this is a power rusher that has so much, blah, blah, blah. You need to put it together. That's Lucas Van Ness right now. Okay. Wow. Like that's, that's exactly what we're saying about Lucas. I'm not saying that he's going to be J.J. Watt, but I'm just saying that it's the exact same concerns we had about J.J. when he came out. Right, right. We're having with this guy, and they're very similar in size. And so, uh, no, I like him. I'm not sure if he's going to be there at 15. 
I'm not even sure if he's there at 12 or 13 if you get that pick from the yeah. Jets. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of intrigue on this guy. He interviewed really well. He was one of the few people to do everything at the NFL Combine, which point, let's talk about that for a minute too. You remember what Miles Garrett ran in the, at the NFL Combine? Yeah. Well, it was like what, four, five, eight, right? It, it was in the four, six, yeah, up slightly under that. Yeah. I think it was a four, five, eight to be exact. Okay. I think that's exactly what Miles Garrett ran, right? Yeah. And he did it at what, 258, 260 pounds? I think it was something like that. Okay. Lucas Van Ness is 274, uh, 272, excuse me, and ran a four, five, eight. And nobody talked about it. Because everybody was talking about Tommy at a barway out of Northwestern, who is 282 running the 449. Yeah. But this guy's heavier than Miles Garrett, and he ran the same. Great, great point. You're right. Nobody's talking about that. Wow. It's crazy. It's crazy. Hey, another guy I wanted to throw into the mix. I mean, like I said before, the Packers lost, you know, Jaron Reed, who started for him last year, and they lost uh, Dean Lowry, who started for him for the last several years. So, I mean, again, like we talked about tight end, this. (laughs) <laughs> this has a big, big gap to be filled. And if they don't, don't do it with one, obviously uh, they got to do it in the second round. But the third guy that could en- enter into the equation here is uh, Foskey from Notre Dame. And he seems to be all over the board, all over mock drafts. Some people have him high like you do. Some have him even going in the second round. Yep. Um why do you think he is a legitimate selection in that mid first round? I think the concern is when you look at him at what he did at Northwest or North um, Notre Dame, North, Notre Dame. Well, excuse me. Same thing. Uh, when you look at what he, <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. Uh, I think one program's legitimate. The, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to get. Yeah, yeah. When you look at what he did at Notre Dame, he was a lot of the time a stand up edge rusher. Reminded me in a lot of ways like Khalil Mack when Mack was at Buffalo. Sure. Very similar in the skill set. I thought, I thought maybe, I think he's a little bit small, a little bit bigger than Mack was and maybe not as athletic because that was the thing about Mack was he was crazy athletic. Like he, he didn't even have to test. It was, you watched the tape. He had the pick sixes and all the crazy stuff that he did at Buffalo. But the thing with Foskey is, I think the question is, can he do it from a, can he, can he pass, rush the passer from a four, three defensive end spot? And, or does he have to be a stand-up guy? And there's not a lot of three, four defenses left anymore, right, in the NFL. Uh, so that's kind of why I think there's a lot of question about where he will fit um, and why he's all over mock drafts, high, low, all over the place. Now, this is a guy that, honestly, to me, talent-wise, he's a top 10 player in the class. I, really? I love Fox. Oh, man, he graded he's out based so on high. Talent, top 10. Yeah, he graded out so high. Yeah. It's it's yeah, 86 and a half on my grading chart, which I think right now is in that seven to ten range. Yeah. Of my top players graded this year. So I think this is a guy that's immediate impact, dude. As soon as he steps on the field, he's making an impact. Uh I thought he was a really good tackler. He's really solid in space. He pursues the play really well. So run defense is not going to be an issue with him. I thought that, you know, he's got good balance, he's got good bend. It's not great. He could use his hands decently well. So there's a little bit of upside there as well where you know, if he can just be consistent with his bend, uh, he's going to be special. And But in the meantime, you have a very solid run defender. You got a guy that can get off to the passer. And if you watch what he did against Ohio State, I thought that there was a lot of really good tape in that game against – because he was going back and forth wow. between both tackles. 
That's game. what I was going to ask you. He went against Paris Johnson and uh, Jones. Huh? Yep. He played both, both sides of the field. And, you know, like I think Paris Johnson handled them better. Uh-huh. Um, there were, there were, I mean, it looked like an NFL chess match is what it looked like watching them go back and forth with the way that he was trying to attack them, the way that they were countering. It was a beautiful, it's a beautiful tape to go watch, but there were some plays where you could see, okay, this guy can create opportunities to win and he's doing it against NFL talent, NFL caliber talent. He wasn't as productive in that game as he was others, but I thought that that was a key game that told me a lot about the type of player that he is. How would you rank them in order between those three guys, those three defensive ends? In, term, in terms of talent, I'm going to go, honestly, probably in the opposite order that we talked about them. So it would be yeah. Fosky, it would be Van Ness, and then it would be Miles. Really? Okay. Right. That, that's for, the, interesting. for the Packers fit, I like yeah. Miles, which is why I mocked him there. Yeah. Um, because you want that athletic ability. He's a guy that, you know, he might not be a spark by himself, but you get somebody on the other side of him, he's going to be a spark. Okay. Okay, so – uh, he's a he's a very solid he'll be a very solid rotational piece and I think that's what everybody's trying to get into. Gotcha. Uh, but until he gets into a rotation, until you have him, you know, where you can rotate four guys at your defensive end spots, like he'll hold up, but he'll become special once you have that depth. Um, after that, I'm gonna probably go Fosky, and then I'm gonna go, you know, if I had to for the fits for the Packers, it'd be yeah. Murphy, Fosky, Van Ness. Okay, interesting. Um, you know, we, we talked about the tight end need. We talked about the defensive end need. And who knows what's going to happen with our uh, left tackle situation, not ours, but the Packers. Yeah. Um, you know, and interestingly enough, there there's some really good offense tackles in that range. Uh, you know, if if they trade Bakhtiari or, or something happens. I mean, I heard rumors at the Senior Bowl that they were going to trade him. I heard rumors – at the combine that they were going to trade him, nothing's happened, and, and who knows? But even if they don't trade him, he's a guy you can't count on. You know, I mean, he's been injury played the last two years, and, and it's you just wonder how much is left in the tank for him. But you look at that offensive uh, tackle class, and you got Skronsky and Johnson and Jones, and you probably know this, but uh, Skronsky's grandfather – started for the Packers on the great Lombardi teams. Yep. And he was a captain, an offensive captain, and uh, just a really solid player. And I talked to uh, Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern at the Combine, and he would love to play in Green Bay. He would love to continue the tradition of the Skaronsky family. All three of those, in your mind, go in that range? Yes. Uh, I think that all of those guys are off the board before the 25th overall pick. Okay. Um, I think they're all first round talents. I think that they're going to go accordingly. If I had to guess right now, Johnson probably comes off first, followed by Broderick Jones, and then probably Skaronsky after that. Yeah. 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 So Skaronsky's probably the best. He's probably in the position to be picked best by Green Bay. Like he's probably going to be on the board. Uh huh. The question that I have is the fit. And I and I get I get the whole you know tradition Skronsky yeah, family yeah, the yeah. Green Bay it's a cool story right right but the one thing that you've kind of noticed about offensive tackles over the last few years in the NFL is you have to look at the type you know I think that teams want a specific type of tackle and you have to fit that mold and when you look at Bakhtiari and you compare him to Skronsky they're not the same type of tackle at all. 
the type of tackle that's in this class is one that you didn't even mention, actually, is Jalen Duncan out of Maryland. You know what? A lot of of Bakhtiari-type talent, type, you know, sort of similarities in their games. I I agree with that. I I spoke with him at the uh, Senior Bowl, and he said the Packers had talked to him. So uh, he he must be spot on. I mean, if they were interested in him. But most people don't have him going the first round, right? I mean, he's not in that. So coming into the year, he was considered a first-round pick. I think he was. He was. Let me make sure I'm remembering this correctly. I think there were a lot of people that thought he was top 15. I thought he was top 15. Uh Now, the issue that sort of arose with him is that there were a couple times, there were a couple games last year against Ohio State and against Penn State where it just looked like he gave up. And I mean, the end of that Ohio State game, the second half was atrocious. Like Zach Harrison had his number the entire game, looked like a star against him. I think that's kind of the concern is why did he drop off in those two games Uh and, and surrender as much as he did? And, and sort of what that is. He also did an interview as well. So I think that Duncan might be a target in the second round because if you get the good Duncan, the Duncan we've seen on the field that made us think he's you know a top 15 pick, he is a top 15 pick, mm-hmm. right? But it's a consistency. Can you get all that out of him? Duncan makes the most sense to me in the second round uh, to Green Bay. I think he would be on the board for that. I, I agree with you. That would be a guy to keep your eye on. At that second round. How about the kid from uh, Ohio State Jones? He might be the biggest human being I've ever seen. Yeah, he's he's interesting, <laughs> you know, and so he's a right tackle, right? Yeah. I think that I don't think that you're going to try to play him on the left. People, we talk about switching and doing, you know, go going back and forth, uh, being able to play left and right tackle. We talk about that all the time and how valuable that is in the NFL. But some guys, unless they really, really just put the work in, it's tough. Because if you ever tried to mirror your body and do something the exact same way, but on the other side, it's very difficult to learn to sort of break that habit for you and teach you how to do that. Sure, sure. That's essentially what you're asking a tackle to do when you ask him to go from right to left or left to right. Yeah, yeah. You're going to mirror everything that you do, but you're just going to, it's gonna, everything's opposite. Right. It takes a lot of practice. Some guys don't pick up on it very well. A lot of practice to build that back up. So with Jones, it's a guy that I think is a right tackle. Uh, there are concerns and it's because we don't know what this guy's going to do when he gets beat. We haven't seen him really get beat, Yeah, you know, and it's because he is, he's massive. He's so big. I got to pull up his measurements. So I don't miss say them. Oh, six, eight, three, 74. I was going to say it's at least three seventy. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's insane. He's insanely big. And he went to the senior bowl. He played the first practice and he threw guys around like rag dolls and then said, I'm good. I got a concussion. <laughs> Like that's literally what happened. You know, I, I hope I'm not saying he didn't have a concussion. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to figure out where he got it. Like, where did he, yeah. On the door walking out. Like, is that what happened? Yeah. I I would be curious to look at that Ohio state uh, tape and, and see if he was a road grader. I mean, he looks like few people could handle him physically, you know, and I don't know if he played like that or not, but. Yeah, you don't see it. You don't see people beat him. I mean, in terms of strength, he's a brute. I didn't think that he was as athletic. And I mean, when you're 6'8", 374, you're not expecting him to be an athletic stalwart. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, like the 5'3", 5'40", that showed up on tape a little bit. 
Um, you're not taking this guy going, oh, I'm gonna uh I'm gonna send him on pull pulling assignments, yeah, exactly and toss yeah. sweeps and things like that. You're gonna take him to be an inside zone runner that's just gonna get downhill and clear a hole. That's all he's gonna do. Yeah. You know, yeah. and he held up decently well as a pass protector. I thought it was it wasn't middling average, it was above average, but it wasn't great. He's got a really good anchor, allowed five hurries, but it's just like the leverage. Is this a guy that's going to be able to maintain his leverage consistently, or is he going to give up to bendy edge rushers around the edge? I, I think that that's where his issue will be. Yeah. You know, the other thing, though, if Bakhtiari does leave, the Packers have been fortunate the last couple of years. They, they drafted a ton of offense linemen, uh-huh. so they got some maneuverability there. I mean, they can take Jenkins and move him into Bakhtiari's spot. Uh, Tom could fill in that left guard. I mean, I mean, they've got plenty of options there. It's not like a dire need, like to me, like tight end or defensive end. Dire. But, you know, a couple other spots uh, that people say are, are, you know, important, and I, I agree. One of them being safety, and, and I guess the only safety that would be in that range would be Brian Branch of Alabama, correct? Yeah, and, and he's really even more of a nickel defender. You know, yeah. so he's not even really a true safety. There's not really an outstanding safety. Now there's a, I've talked with people about this and I've basically been told you're, I like the way, like a, a scout says, they said, I like the way you're thinking. It's just nobody else is thinking this right now. Ke- Keely Ringo out of Georgia makes yeah. a lot of sense at safety instead of corner. Oh, I, I, have, yeah. I haven't graded out as an elite free safety prospect. I mean, he'd be top, he'd be a top five player in the class as a free safety. Wow. But he's never played it. So, you know, like I had a whole plan built out where I would, here's how I would integrate him into safety. So where he could play that deep safety. Yeah. And I was and look, nobody's thinking that we're going to try him at corner. If he fails there, then we'll move him to safety. Like, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So that's, that's not a, Hey, somebody's thinking this, they're, they're thinking, Hey, we could go this route with it. Nobody's thinking that that's just my opinion, but no, it, it not in the first round. There's not a safety there. That's really yeah. worth, worth taking off the board. Maybe when you get into the second or the third round, uh, somebody like Jordan Battle could make some sense. I, I love Alabama. Battle. Yeah, you know what? Again, when we, when I saw him up up close, he's physical. I mean, he's he's built. Uh, no, he's yeah, he's awesome. And, and then the other thing, John, that kind of stood out to me was um, when I, I t- talked to Branch, he brought up Battle's name and, and as a kind of like a mentor or somebody that he looked up to. And he had he had branches of respect, and I'm thinking like you know that that to me at least that that speaks volumes about battle. That's the thing too is Alabama, you know, for as as much crap as we give them in the media, and, and as much doubt as Nick Saban gets year after year. Oh, his dynasty is crumbling, his empire. Yeah. He does a great job getting these guys that are really good leaders, you know, and. And and really good young men. Yeah, you got the bad apples of the group. You know, the guys that go out and they make really stupid mistakes. I mean, yeah. you know, with Ruggs is a great example recently of an Alabama player. But for the most part, these are really good guys. Hmm. These are really solid young men. And Alabama is really good about building them into that at that program. And, uh, yeah, look at I mean, Jalen Hurts, too. I mean, that's a guy yeah. right there that just unbelievable, too, is an awesome personality. Like you just, they keep Najee Harris, awesome personality. You know, they just keep producing these great personalities as part of that. And uh, leadership is a huge part of what they develop there. 
And Battle's a guy he's been starting for four years there. You know, he's got, I'm adding this, the starts up in my head as I'm 44 career starts in the last three years yeah. or four years. Cause he started four. He was in the rotation. He played a lot of snaps his freshman year in 2019, but this is, yeah, no, he is a guy that he's very physical. He's instinctive and he stayed healthy, but yeah, leadership. He was, he was a leader in the back end this last year. Well, it's kind of funny. We, we, we do these mock drafts and you and I agreed on Murphy and mayor. And I always thought battle would be a great second round pick and mm-hmm. they would, you know, not only get quality players, but Phil needs. And that's the thing too, is that's a balance when you're building a roster, especially yeah. with the draft, because you got free agency, you get to fill holes. And when you get down to, is it about needs or do you take the best player available? Obviously needs come up, you know, there's 31 NFL teams every year that we analyze and say, here's why they didn't win the Super Bowl, And there's always a reason for it. And then there's one team that everybody looks at every year and goes, well, look, and this is why they won the Super Bowl. Now we need yeah. to go do it. Yeah. Right. And so it's, it's, it's the funny pro- part of the process where you're looking at guys going, all right. So, so like this hole was very important and it knocked us out. We lost a game because of it, but the team that won the Super Bowl had a hole similar to this and they just had these really good guys behind it behind in the other positions that made up for it, you know? So like, that's, that's the balance. That's part of the decision-making. And there's 31 teams that are going to be wrong at the end of the year. So it's tough. It's the toughest job in the world. Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating job, but uh, it, it's also a cutthroat job. If you don't do your job well. <laughs> You're out the door, man. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, ask Mike Mayock, who I, I you know respect immensely. Oh, you know, you I mean. Ask, ask the, the dude, the, John Robinson. Like, yeah, what happened to that? They were seven and three when he got fired. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So uh, uh, one other position. Well, you know, just touching on your, your your theory about possibly moving Ringo to safety. I'll tell you what, who my favorite player in the draft is, and that's Joey Porter. And I wondered if Porter could go inside and and still play at a high level. I say he can't. I, I think he's just a, a, a talented guy that no matter where you put him on the field, he's going to excel. But I'm thinking like, if I'm the Packers, I'd pause if Porter was on the board there. I don't know if Porter gets past 10 right now, man, if I'm being I, honest I agree. with you. That's more of a pipe dream for the Packers. No, it is. And and it's but it's but I, I like the the thought process. I love the thought process because it he is a guy that can play man, he can play zone, he's physical, he's a ball hawk. Yeah. He's he's one of my he's one of my favorite players in this class, too. I that's hmm. it's funny that you bring him up because there's so much that he does well. You know, you look at guys. I, I like my corners to be physical, personally. I, I love physical corners. I love physical corners that want to tackle. Absolutely. And you look at a guy like, I'm going to give you Christian Gonzalez, right, out of yeah. Oregon. You put on his tape, he doesn't want to tackle anybody. He will do everything he can to avoid tackling somebody. And he's not physical at all. You know, like I talk, I my biggest concern was watching him against Georgia, trying to cover Lad McConkley. He's playing inside leverage, and he's letting the dude cross his face. And settling into trail. And I'm going, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> you got like, I know people, they they like to, you know, they don't think that Stetson Bennett's a good quarterback, right? Yeah. But Bennett wasn't at that point was an experienced national championship winning quarterback. Mm-hmm. 
and you're going to go ahead and let his favorite receiver cross your face and settle into trail while playing inside technique. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like that's a, he's running a slant. You're supposed to take that away. That's the whole point of inside technique. And you just see him make mistakes like that constantly on film. And while he's very athletic and he can make up for it sometimes, I just don't like the lack of physicality. I don't like him not wanting to tackle people, you know, so like that's a guy that I don't like, but a guy like Porter is the opposite. He he'll play inside leverage. You want to run inside? No, no, I'm not letting you inside. You're going to have to go behind me. And then I'm in position, you know, like he is very physical and he's athletic enough to uh, also make play physically to where he doesn't surrender his positioning. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned him because I have Porter as my number one corner. Mm-hmm. I have Weatherspoon number two, and then I have Gonzalez, but everybody's in love with Gonzalez. That's it, it happens every year. You know, I, I remember a few years ago, it was Henderson coming out of Florida, CJ Henderson. Everybody yes. loved him. Yeah. And it was a, this is a guy. He doesn't play, he doesn't play physical. He doesn't want to tackle anybody. And where is CJ Henderson right now? I don't think he's even in the NFL. Yeah, you know, like like that was a guy that went top ten because he just had all the athletic tools. There's a lot more to playing corner than just being athletic. You know, like there's you got to be you got to be a defender. Oh, absolutely. Point. You know, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I saw Packers corners miss tackles this year because they weren't being physical. You know. Yep. And, yep. And that's uh, what happens. Miss tackles in space leads to big plays. Big yep. plays turn into touchdowns. I actually have my top two corners flipped compared to you. I think Witherspoon's a little bit better, uh-huh. um, but very, very close. It's not very, it's not far off. Yeah. Again, I mean, the Packers, at least on the surface, don't need a corner. I mean, they got no. Stokes and they got Alexander, uh, two first round picks. They're not going to give up an either one, especially Alexander. Uh, yeah. Stokes is coming off an injury, but he'll be fine. Let's uh, switch gears a little bit. There's three players at Wisconsin that, uh, you know, should be drafted, I assume, starting out with mm-hmm. Keanu Benton. And, yep. Um, you know, I saw him at the Senior Bowl. I mean, I saw him at Wisconsin, you know, the last couple of years, and he made a, an impression. But down at the Senior Bowl, I mean, it seemed like he took his game to another level and mm-hmm. started showing, you know, what, what he's very capable of doing. Yeah, so, so Benton, I think, was kind of dealing with an injury a lot of this year. Mm-hmm. I think that that – I think that's out. I think I'm pretty sure that's public knowledge now. I hope that is. Um, but that's right. Saying, they know where to find <laughs> I'll, I'll be a target. It'll be fine. Uh, yeah. John Wick. Okay. Never mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, no, no. So, so Benton was injured a lot of this year. And I think that he wasn't playing 100%. And because when you look at the 2021 tape, this is a guy that looked like he was a top 60 player in the class. Now he's a one tech mostly which is uh, you line up a one or a zero, you line up on the center, right over yeah. the center. Uh, that's really where you – so a nose tackle is really where he's going to fit at the next level. But um, this year, you know, talking with guys that played against him in the Big Ten, there was – I kept hearing the same thing. Yeah, he wasn't a problem. Like, we didn't have any issues with him. And I really think that's because he was hurt this past year. He okay. goes out to the Senior Bowl. He shows all that good stuff that we saw in 2021. I think he was healthy for the first time in a long time. Uh, he's a guy that can generate a pass rush. He's a very decent tackler. I think that uh, his hand usage is miserable at times, but he's a guy that's going to get double teams because he's got some strength. 
And that's very important on the inside, especially when you when we're talking about a one tech. So I think that uh, second, late second, early third round makes a lot of sense for him. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That's that's where I kind of project him as well. The guy that I, I think is really flying under the radar, and I, I heard he's moving up, is Tipman, the center, who played mm-hmm. some guard before transitioning over to center. But I've heard there's like four or five teams late in the first round that, you know, have them on their board. I mean, they're, they're definitely giving him serious consideration. Yeah, and I think that he very well may be the first center off the board from what yeah. I've – just okay. what I've heard, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's either going to be him or it'll be John Michael Schmitz. Mm-hmm. But the thing with – it makes sense about Tippmann is he's got the upside because he's he's a lot younger than Schmitz, you know. So you're going to have him in your lineup a lot longer by two or three years at the very least. Uh-huh. Also, it was on Bruce Feldman's freak list coming in to the year as well, you know. So we're talking about a center on a freak list athletically. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty darn insane. So no, he he had a he had a really good year, I thought, and solidified what people were kind of thinking about him. And yeah, first late first round wouldn't surprise me. I would expect more second round be off the board before the forty fifth pick. Yeah, you, you definitely think he's better than Josh Myers, the Packers' presence center. I haven't looked a lot like extensively at Myers, yeah. but I would say uh, yeah, probably. I, I think Myers, you know, had his ups and ups and downs, but. I, I think that kid's going to be, you know, a very good center for years. If you can, if you have an opportunity to upgrade them, like yeah. upgrade them, right? Like yeah. that's 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 the way we have to look at it. Sometimes is, hey, like you know, it's at the end of the day, it's a business. If he's a cuttable, not a cuttable, but if he's something yeah. that you can work around with and be like, yeah, if we can upgrade him and it doesn't hurt our bottom line, let's do it. You know, you know? The, the other thing about those two players I brought up, both can play guard. I mean, if he needed to. They, they could see that's that. that's the other value right you yeah. a lot of times you're only going into a game carrying seven offensive linemen yeah so you got hey, two well, guys oh, that can play guard that's great that's awesome yeah, yeah. yeah. well another uh badger nick herbig uh mm-hmm. he's small <laughs> I, I give him you know a ton of credit for his desire his motivation his quickness but he's small and, and i know he plays a lot bigger he does. He does. To his credit, he does. No, no. He question. plays like he's a lot. Like I didn't realize he was as small as he was. Yeah. Until I saw the measurements. I think I saw the Blesto measurements. They had him at six one, uh, just under six two and two twenty seven. I went, what? <laughs> yeah. This is a guy that looks like he plays like he's six three two forty five. Yeah. But um, you know what? And guys like that have made it. You know, but eventually it catches up with them. You know, third, fourth year. I mean, I wonder taking- if you. I wonder if you put him in like a Hassan Reddick role. Yeah. Yeah. I think you could do that with him. And that's the thing I'm telling you right now, everybody in the league is going to be trying to add a, a Hassan Reddick type player to their mm-hmm. roster. If they don't have one already, because look at, look at uh, how valuable that was for the Eagles all year. They had four pass rushers with 10 plus sacks. Yeah. Reddick had 16. He had three other guys with 11. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why was that? Because you can go with a guy like Reddick. You run, you put your four man front up there, and you got Reddick as your fifth. And he's a guy that can drop into coverage and rush the quarterback. And Herbig, he's athletic. He's fluid. He, he looks really good as a he looks really good as an athlete. And so as a guy that can rush the passer, you get him one on one. The whole point of having a five man front like that is to get one on one across the board. 
Mm-hmm. If you have an interior guy that can eat a double team, now you have a guaranteed one-on-one with a tight end. Yeah, you know that that that's one of my issues with the Packers. Uh, they they play a three-four, and mm-hmm. if you look at most of the teams that have gone deep into the playoffs now, they're they're playing a four-man front. Almost everybody's going to four-man at this point. It, yeah. Exactly, and and I think at some point they're going to have to reevaluate their defensive schemes. And, uh, you know, everybody wonders, well, you know, the Packers are getting mauled on the run. Well, you better have great inside, great physical inside linebackers if you're going to play that 3-4. And, and Green Bay really doesn't. I think, too, it's it's a little bit of – I'm going to use an example here. So if you look at what a lot of NFL teams are doing, I mean, Chicago is a great example of this right now, yeah. where you have – you play two – basically you have two linebackers playing the mic but they're playing half field. So they're going to run great. They're going to split the box in half down the center, down the middle of the center. Right. And you're going to play, both guys are going to play. One's going to play left. One's going to play right. And the whole idea is if it's a run, we fill the run gaps. We're responsible for filling run gaps left or right, you know, on my side. Sure. And it's because it's the mic position is so difficult to get a guy that can play a mic. Now a middle linebacker, a true middle linebacker. It's mm-hmm. so difficult to get that, that skill set and be effective at it, that they would split it up into two, right? So that's why I think you can still win with a three-man front. Because as long as you have two outside linebackers that are versatile enough to where they can come downhill, run the pass, rush the passer, play run stop, and be able to drop into you know short-term coverage, yes, right? Yes. Because that's essentially what you're doing with your inside linebackers. But, and, and the Packers do have it. I mean, Gary and, and Smith fit that, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And But if you got – if you have a guy like – like like you have to get the text lined up right. You've got to be – got to find ways to align guys so that they can pull double teams. Mm-hmm. And then you get your one-on-one opportunities that you're looking for. That's the most important thing. It's the toughest thing to get sometimes with that three-man front. So uh, – I haven't I haven't studied the Packers front defense yeah, extensively, yeah. so I can't speak as an expert on it. But uh, like, there's a lot of like people worry about three man and four man fronts and all that stuff. When you look at the grand scheme of things, there's not a lot of difference between them in the sense that the alignment might be a little bit different. And but right now, with everybody going to nickel base and everything, it's all kind of merging together into one, anyways. Yeah, and, and you know what? The good teams mix it up, anyways. You know, play multiple. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah they'll, they'll they'll throw different schemes at you. You know, just to throw off the offense line. You know, approach as well. So, it, it, it's not the worst, but I guess my preference would still be the old fashioned four man front. So. Right. But yeah, now Herbig Herbig to me, I think is fourth, fifth round. But he's okay. a guy that he'll step in and probably play a Hassan Reddick type role. Okay. My guess. Let, let Let me uh, ask you to look into your crystal ball. A year from now, when we're talking, who's going to be the NFC Rookie of the Year? I mean, Offensive Rookie of the Year, and who's going to be the Defensive Rookie of the Year? Oh man, it's a little too early to be asking you that. <laughs> so we don't we don't have team fits, we don't have anything. But um, I guess if we're going to go by strict talent, yeah, I would say Rookie of the Year would probably be Bryce Young. I don't know where Bryce is going to go. I don't think he's going number one. I think that it's pretty obvious right now that the Panthers are going to take CJ Stroud. Yeah. And I think that's been obvious for a while. 
Um, as soon as they got the pick, it was the only thing that made sense. The Vegas odds immediately went to minus 300 CJ and they've held right there about minus 270. Yeah. You know, so when you look at like the guys that Frank Reich has coached, they're all tall prototype pocket passers. You go look at the guys like the offensive coordinator coming in. I forget his name off the top of my head. Yeah. He's worked with in Detroit, I think it was, or blood or Vegas. No, 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 no. LA. Rams. I, I know you're talking about. Yeah. So he's worked with Stafford and golf over the last few years, which sure. again, tall prototype pocket passers. And then you go look at Josh McCown, tall prototype pocket passer. <laughs> Bryce Young doesn't make any sense there. He no. makes no sense because he's a small improvising. You got to move him around type quarterback. So that doesn't make a lot of sense there. CJ is that he's not as tall, but tall pocket passer. I don't think that, that Bryce is going two either. It really sounds to me that the Texans are going to go Will Levis at two. That's what you're hearing? Yeah. Well, it's the Liam Cohen connection. Because okay. Liam Cohen was the offensive coordinator at Kentucky when Levis transferred in from Penn okay. State. And so you know he can run a, a Shanahan-type scheme. That's exactly the scheme that they're going to run in Houston this year. So that makes a lot of sense. There's that connection already. They know that he can work the system. So it sounds like they will like Levis. And so I don't know where Bryce ends up falling to, but I think that if he goes into a place where he's a year one starter, yeah, he's going to kill it. So that would be my guess. John, it's it's absolutely amazing how you and I are on the same page. I'm a huge Bryce fan. Um, In fact, about a week or so ago, I tweeted out, that the Bears should trade at that time their number one pick and trade fields. I mean, keep their number one pick, trade fields, and then draft young. And, uh, you know, obviously a lot of people around here <laughs> didn't agree with me. No. But as much as I like fields, I like young so much more. I, I think he's a special quarterback. I think he's a winner. And, and I think that's really undervalued how a guy leads a team, his importance to, to the uh, winning recipe, what what he brings to the yeah. team. And, and, and Bryce Young brings everything to that camp. Yeah, yeah, because when you see what he did with the supporting cast he had at Alabama this year, it yeah. was it's, it's not close to what anybody else in this class did um, because it was not a great supporting cast. It was probably the worst offensive line Alabama's put out in the last 10 years. It was probably the worst group of receivers in the last six or seven, maybe longer. And they really had to rely on Jameer Gibbs uh, to run the football, basically to open up opportunities. Now, that's the funny thing is I was watching Mississippi State Alabama tape today before we were recording. And I just love that game that Bryce played in that because it was it's so funny watching them move around to run around for eight seconds behind the line of scrimmage. He's pointing one way, throwing the other like just. Yeah, creating uh, creating things, and you're just like, well, I don't, I don't know how he does it. But go look at the tennis. If you want to question the grit of this guy, go look at the Tennessee game from this year. Go look at the LSU game. Those are the two games I highly recommend you look at. They are not his best games. They are probably, in all honesty, on his resume, the worst games he's ever played. And they're pretty awesome. <laughs> they're awesome games. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no. and I, I get it. You know, the the haters out there say he's small, and he is small. But the game has changed. This isn't the game from 10, 15, 20 years ago 
where the quarterback got mauled, you know, constantly during game. They it's, are so protected now. It's funny that we say that because 12 quarterbacks last year out of all the of the entire league played the entire season. That's all 12. 12. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Now, now you got a couple that were benched, right? Like Carr was benched. Yeah, yeah. I think Mitch Trubisky, you could probably say benched. Yeah. Um, but uh, maybe Mariota at the end, you could say him too. So even with those three, 15. Mm-hmm. So health of a quarterback is still somewhat important, right? Yeah. Because it's a 17-game season. You are going to take hits, and that's just part of the game. But this is a guy that played in the SEC, man. Like, like, no offense to you Big Ten people up there. The SEC <laughs> no, is the SEC, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, no you, question. You go watch that Tennessee game. He's coming off of the one game that he missed with a shoulder injury. But he has thrown some dimes. Yeah. And he's taking some hits. There was a there was a call that – and I'm a Tennessee fan. I couldn't believe it was not targeting. Uh, he took a wallop to the head by the, the nose tackle, Bumpus, I think. Uh-huh. It was 340 pounds. Wow. And it was a nasty, vicious hit, and he got right back up. I mean, he takes those hits in the SEC, and so we know that he can handle it. Um, I guess you, you would worry about tread on the tires with him, but no, he's, to me, by far and above the best offensive player in this class. Like, there's nobody that's going to impact a team like Bryce Young. And so I, I, that would be my offensive. To finish up with the defensive, because you asked me who I thought defensively would, yeah, man. Honestly, what's going to probably end up happening is Jalen Carter is going to end up winning it. The tackle out of Georgia. <laughs> yeah, we're we're again on the same page. Whoever gets him is getting the steal. And I, I mean, everybody's talking about oh the arrest and blah blah blah, which that's a whole other conversation. I mean, it, it, it was it turned out to be a misdemeanor, right? Yeah, it was two misdemeanors, and he's got some community service and a fine he has to pay. Yeah, but so you got that, you got that, and then you have the the pro day. The pro day was bad. And so I think I was doing a podcast. I was doing Blitzcast with uh, Justin Gamble. And I was said, I'm just throwing this out there because I, obviously I have no inside info. I have yeah. no scoop or anything on this. But the 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 timing of the announcement of the arrest was odd. Yeah, it, it was, was very odd at the combine. Right before he's about to take the podium. Yeah. Literally an hour before he takes the podium, that stuff breaks. We're in, we're both in Indianapolis when it happens, and looking at our phones, standing in the media room, going, "What the hell?" Yeah. And then you look at, okay, so now they got that out of the way. He goes to his pro day. He's got problems going through the drills, blah blah blah, this and that. Really? How? Why? How does he have? How is he having these issues? Is it just me? Or did Chicago just – I thought before the trade, before Chicago moved down, the only thing that made sense was to go to four with the Colts. And you go to four because you can get one of the top two defenders right there. Because mm-hmm. even if Arizona maintains their pick or three doesn't go quarterback either, you get either Will Anderson Jr. or Jalen Carter. But they traded nine. And all of a sudden, they traded nine. Now Jalen Carter's having trouble getting through his pro day. Yeah, I'm not saying that I know anything or not, but I'm looking at it going, maybe he's got a deal and he's got to convince everybody else not to pick him. Yeah, you know what, John? In the NBA, which I covered for more than three decades, okay, that was at one time very common. Guys would <laughs> kept deals and say, hey, don't work out with another team. 
you know, whatever, you know, false, they, they would spread false information about the guys, you know, with the idea that, Hey, even like kids that are entering the draft, you know, they're told, okay, you're, you're not going to get past us. You know, if you come out, <laughs> you're not going any further than us, you know? So yeah, there, there, there's stuff cut behind the scenes. I, I don't know how pre- uh, uh, prevalent it is in the NFL, but in the NBA, that's definitely. Hey, I'm just looking at the Carter situation going. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. He's yeah. he's already got a you know, got a deal. He's got to convince everybody else not to take him before a certain pick. Well, that's you what know sounds what? like to me. He sounds like he has Detroit Lions written all over him. He could. <laughs> but you Chicago know, makes have, sense like, six, too, seven right? pick, whatever it is. Yeah, uh, no, I can do. see that yeah. happening too, but. Um, Okay, well, we're uh, coming into the uh, home stretch here. Let me ask you to run through your top six picks and then also number nine to the Bears. We we already mentioned our Packer picks, but top six and then number nine. Yeah, so right now I think we just we kind of talked about the first two there for a minute yeah. with, you know, I think Stroud going one to the Panthers. I think Levis probably going two. I don't think Arizona is going to hold on to three. Okay, And I think that there's going to be a lot of interest to move up. So rumor is that the Seahawks love Anthony Richardson. There's a good rumor. That's a great rumor. That's the rumor. And when I heard this rumor, my reaction was, yeah, I'm sure they love him so much they'd love him to go top five. Because they got the fifth overall pick. You get a third quarterback up there, now you get an elite defender at five. Yeah. Um, so I think that someone very well may make a move up for Bryce Young or Anthony Richardson. And I mm-hmm. believe that move could be to three. I don't know who the suitor would be, but I would go to go ahead and say that Richardson probably comes off the board at three. Okay. When you get to four in Indianapolis, Richardson makes a lot of sense to Indianapolis, right? Um, because you look at what Shane Steichen just did with Jalen Hurts the last couple of years in Philadelphia, taking a guy that was a little bit not as polished as a passer and, putting a system together that worked for him. I think that that would be a really good fit. I don't think he makes it there. So Indianapolis now all of a sudden at four is looking to trade back or just settle for a defender. I don't know if they get a trade done in time. Uh, they probably go ahead and take Will Anderson Jr. and just cut their losses. Sure. At five, you've got Seattle. I think that they probably are going to go a defender as well. Maybe a Tyree Wilson there. Um, somebody to kind of bolster their defensive line. I like at six. Probably, like you just actually mentioned, Jalen Carter going right there to the Lions um, because Dan Campbell says, bite the exactly. kneecaps off, right? It's all about Dan Campbell. Absolutely. Yep, yep. Dan's over there cutting deals behind, you know, corners, uh, whatever, however you want to call it. Yeah, I mean, can you, can you imagine him with Hutchinson, though? I mean, jeez. Well, there was a rumor that started with, you know, Ed Oliver was going to Detroit. So he said he posted, like, all three – other a- NFC uh, North quarterbacks on his Instagram a few days ago. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, that, that, yeah, that could change things then, yeah. It could change things, but, I mean, or it could be, oh, you're going to add both of them. <laughs> and have Hutchinson. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, if, if that happens, in my mind at least, the best front in the NFL. Def, definitely top five. Yeah. I would say for sure. Yeah. yeah. I would say I would say I I like the Lions a lot this year. Like they're gonna make some noise. They're gonna be dangerous. But then you said nine, 
to the Bears. I'm not sure what the Bears are kind of thinking. Foskey, I think, is where I mocked him at 2.0. Uh-huh. Uh, because Foskey makes sense right there. Khalil Mack type of player with that pass rush upside with the run stopping ability. And I think he would, he might be there on the board for them. So that would probably be my guess. We're also still a month away. That's going to change. Sure. You know, by the time we run, I'll put out my final mock draft, probably the day before the NFL draft, maybe two days before, because I'll be in the huddle report as well, doing their competition that they do every year. Yeah, yeah. Stuck at it. Well, you know what? With, with the Bears, you know, if they wanted to score some brownie points, they, they could take the Skronsky kid who grew up outside of Chicago, played at Northwestern. I mean, he'd obviously help them. Oh, yeah, they, yeah. Or if they wanted to go to a half hour or whatever it is, an hour uh, to South Bend and take Mayor, you know? <laughs> Again, I, I don't think they're going to be in – I don't think they're going to be looking to take a tight end at nine, to be honest, even yeah, with the picks yeah. that they've amassed. I think it's going to be somebody on the front, yeah. you know? Defense, to me, makes most sense. Sure, sure. that was – that was their pass rush was kind of abysmal last year. If you had the number one pick of any player in the draft, okay, who would you take? Who would be Bryce your Young. personal number one? Bryce Young. Yeah, it sure sounded like it. <laughs> if I if I don't need a quarterback, it's going to be Will Anderson Jr. Yeah, yeah, he's he's not getting a lot of pub. Obviously, he can play. Well, um, that's what's funny is it's like we we kind of knocked him this year as the media because he didn't have he didn't set NCAA records again in tackles for loss uh-huh. and he didn't lead the nation in sacks with 18 and a half he only had 11 this year so oh man what a terrible year for him yeah okay second day player that you really oh like. man so probably the guy that I really like is Carl Brooks yeah out of Bowling Green yeah, yeah I think that's a really great day two pick these sort of three, four defensive end. You can play five tech, three tech, and you can slide him in at one. Even if you had to in a pinch, I don't think he's nearly as effective there. Bowling Green had him there a lot, hmm. but uh, you want to talk about consistent, getting consistently better every year. It's it's like a perfect chart up all the way through. Huh. Production gets better every year. Goes from four and a half to six to nine and a half to twelve and a half sacks over four years. So you know, like that's a. That's solid, right? That tells me he's getting better every year, and he did. And then he goes to the Senior Bowl, and I thought he was a little bit more of a power guy that uh, you just would use for power, and he showed he's got hands. He knows how to use them. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Like, this guy, he can freaking play. Like, I like this guy. Uh, But Carl Brooks is probably a guy I like day two. Um, Outside of him – so there's so many. That's the problem. Yeah, you know, I, I I mentioned earlier about battle. I, I'm a big battle fan, and yeah. then I also I also like Reed from Michigan State. I I think mm-hmm. he's going to be speed. a nice player for somebody. Speed. Yeah, he's got some speed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like Tajay Spears, a two lane, a running back. You know what? I, I I talked to. That's funny you brought him up because I talked to a long time high profile agent about two weeks ago. And I said, who's the kid that you think is going to really shock people? And he brought up Spears. He And he doesn't represent him. He, he just thinks that he's going to surprise a lot of people. Yeah, well, the funny thing was Spears got into a bidding war in the agent side. Nah. Like, seriously, this, this offseason where I think he ended up taking – it was well over five figures just to sign. Wow. <laughs> and we're talking about a third, maybe fourth yeah, round pick. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so 
It was it was a good bit into the five figures. Is well, what we, the, we the, ended up the, taking the agents. Obviously, uh, must like the dude, or they wouldn't. Uh... Well, it's 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 just you look at the guy on tape. Yeah, he finished out the year with seven back to back to back to back 100 yard rushing games, including uh-huh. the, the Cotton Bowl. He goes for 204 or five touchdowns. He's a receiver. I was sitting there with uh, Sports Illustrated Bo Machete during practice. I think it was day two. And I saw him lining up against Aubrey Miller for a pass rush rep. And I, no, I nudged Bo and I'm like, Bo, I was like, watch this. And we both watched Tajay come up. Aubrey comes down. Aubrey's a big guy. He's 245, right? Uh-huh. Big linebacker. Tajay comes up and knocks him right on his butt. Really? He goes, oh, Bo freaks out. I'm like, bro, this is on tape. <laughs> yeah. This is on this stuff is on tape. Okay. Like this guy can pass protect too. So when you got a guy that can do all five or all three facets of the game, he's not a power runner. Yeah. You're not going to ask him to do that, but he can contribute as a receiver. He can contribute as a pass protector. That's a guy you could potentially have on the field second, third downs, maybe even first. Yeah. You know, so potentially a three down guy that you're going to put into your rotation, you can use in a bunch of different ways. Yeah. He's going to be very valuable. Well, I, I really appreciate your time, John. And uh, but I, I I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you your takes on Aaron Rodgers and more. Yeah. What your 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 thoughts on compensation for the Packers? Yeah. So I think we talked about this a little bit too. But the thing with it is, everybody's kind of arguing over who has you know the the leverage in this situation is kind of a unprecedented situation. We say unprecedented because. I mean, Brett Favre was in a nearly identical situation, Mm -hmm. but with the way that NFL trade structures have changed over the last 10, 15 years, this is really unprecedented in modern times. Um, And you've got Rodgers going on to the Pat McAfee show, basically telling his side of the story, saying, here's what I want to do. And so the Packers have leverage because obviously they've got Aaron and they can hold on to him for a year and let him sit if they have to. Do you want to do that? No, because you're going to pay him $50 million to do nothing. That's a problem, you know, especially when in the long grand scheme of things is a cap hit. Um, the Jets, they kind of have leverage here where they can kind of say, well, we're going to outlast you because we don't think that you're, we don't think that you're going to take $50 million. And we don't think you're going to take that cap hit. You only know that you want to get rid of them. We're just going to outweigh you. But the problem with that is, if the Packers actually do it and can work out something with Rodgers, right? Now you got a situation where you don't have a quarterback for the Jets because you just lost everybody in free agency. And what are you going to do? Go take your trade package together, put a bigger one together, and go trade for Lamar? How long are we talking before this is worked out? Is this after the draft? Can you go draft a quarterback? Is Baltimore going to be willing to do that to go draft a guy? That's a really big question, you know, so there's really not nobody really has leverage in this situation. It's sort of at a standstill until somebody goes, "Okay, you know what? Screw it. Let's do it. Let's just get it over with. I'm done. I'm sick of waiting, you know, but I think that it's best for the Packers to move on. I know that I've talked to people inside the organization and they told me that if I could see some of the throws that love makes in practice, I'd be blown away. They love him. You know what? I, I watched some tape on Love when he when he was at Utah State. He's got a big time arm. He was a very raw talent, right? Yes, at Utah yes. State, he, he's, he's intriguing. There, there were. There's a reason why he went in the first round. Um, yeah. 
they love him in Green Bay. And so I think that that's part of the reason why they're ready to move on from Rodgers is because you've got a guy like that. You have to pick up a fifth-year option this year, and you don't want Rodgers to come back next year and go, oh, I'm playing, and you already picked up his fifth-year option. Yeah. Now you're going to pay Rodgers $50 million or whatever it is next year that he's owed, and then you're going to pay Jordan Love $20 million to back him up. Like That's not good. Not yeah. good numbers at all. Well, John, my prediction is it's going to go down on draft night. It's, <laughs> you know, it might. It, it, hey, it, it, in the NFL, it's all about the ratings, right? It might. Things still out there, and people are going to turn in. And when that number thirteen pick comes up, we have a trade. <laughs> it, it very well might go down to that day. I, honestly, I can see that scenario. I really can. And that's and we say we call it theatrics, which yeah. is obviously the ratings would be insane if that happened. Yeah, like yeah, everybody absolutely. tuning into the draft to be the number one draft rating ever, but. The other thing with it is if you're the Packers and you wait until 13, you're potentially messing up the Jets draft plans. And oh, that I, right I there think is going to be worked out in advance. I, I, I think <laughs> both, both, both teams know it already. I, I, I am absolutely convinced this is a done deal and it's just a matter of when they're going to announce it. Trey Wingo certainly said it was a done deal, but who's that? Trey Wingo. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm on. I, I'm in agreement with him. I, I really because I've seen this happen too many times during my career with teams, you know, verbally made a deal weeks, months in advance before it was publicly announced. and waited, waited for a, a certain a specific yes, day yes. to do it. Yeah. So I, I can see that happening. So, yeah. Anything else you want to touch on yet, or have we uh, covered all our bases here? <laughs> As far as I'm tracking, I think we've got everything. I mean, just outside of, you know, Lamar and that situation, but that's really not related to Packers or anything. That's a fun situation. That's a whole conversation that could probably honestly be a whole podcast episode by itself. Yeah. yeah. Um, but kudos to Lamar doing what he's doing without an agent. Uh, yeah, no, I guess that's about all I've got for you, buddy. No, I, uh, I uh, appreciate your time immensely and, I appreciate your service to our country as well. I want to thank you for that. And uh, hopefully we can circle back, you know, before the draft or after the draft and, and, and do another podcast. This is fantastic uh, stuff today. You know where to hit me, man. You know where to find me. So Absolutely. Right, so, right, we'll, we'll see what we can do. So it's NFLDraftBlitz.com. Is that the uh-huh. best way to NFL draft? Read about John Vogel's incredible insights. <laughs> that and uh, you go ahead and follow my Twitter at Draft Vogel. That's probably a really good way to do it as well. I'll put a lot of stuff up there, thoughts, different things. Uh, like today I was talking about Tyler Steen, the offensive tackle coming out of uh, uh, Alabama. Alabama. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And talking about a specific play against Mississippi State where, you know, Young rolls out of the pocket and talks about the – importance of pocket movement as a quarterback and how that helps offensive linemen and, you know, that kind of stuff. So very cool. Always trying to throw some different outs insight that, you know, you're not going to see anywhere else really. So. Sounds good. Well, uh, again, thank you. And and thank you to all our listeners. Take care and all the best. For more sports news, check back every Tuesday for our latest show. You can also follow Gary on Twitter at Gary Wuffle and Wuffle's press box.com.